Rebel. That's what we talked about last week. What specifically did we look at? That's okay. What's that? I can't hear you, Micah. Speak up. Characteristic. Yeah, we did talk about characteristics of rebels. Rebel can be a good thing or a bad thing. Anybody else? Anybody remember? Who, who did we look at specifically? Yes, that is the right answer tonight. It's Jesus. Yeah, we, we looked at this idea that Jesus Christ's entire life was rebellious. Whether He intended it to be or not, from the time He was born, He was born in a way that nobody thought He was going to be born. He lived His life in ways that other people didn't think He should live His life, especially the religious leaders during that time. All the way until His death, Jesus' life was the definition of a rebel because He lived in ways that other people thought He shouldn't live. And we looked at the idea that when you, when you decide to rebel, when you decide to, to model your life after Jesus, the first thing that you may have to do is change the rules. Change the rules of what people expect of you. Maybe even people in the church, people who, who expect you to be here on Sundays and be here on Wednesdays and to read your Bibles and memorize the verses and know all the songs and raise your hands and close your eyes when you sing. And all that stuff's good. I'm not saying don't do that. But if that's all we do and the only reason we do it is because people are expecting it, then we've got to change that. Because you see, Jesus Christ wasn't so concerned about whether we did all the right things. He was concerned about the relationship that we had with Him. He was concerned about the heart that we had with Him. And so He changed the rules and we saw how He treated the woman who was caught in adultery. And instead of stoning her the way the law told Him He should do, He changed the rules. And He bent down and He started writing in the sand and all of a sudden all of those men who were accusing her went away. You see, because Jesus didn't treat her the way society told Him to treat her. That's what God calls us to do. Tonight, we're going to look at something else that Jesus did that maybe we need to do some, sometimes. Another thing that Jesus did that made his life look different than everybody else is that quite often, Jesus would choose the wrong crowd. How many of you have parents or have friends that your parents don't really like? Some of you, yeah, there's a couple of you. Now tell me, tell me very briefly, why don't your parents like them? They do drugs. That is a great reason. Okay. They do drugs. They're awkward. Are we talking about awkward, Nick? Okay, they're awkward. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Guys, I need to make sure you all hear these. They do drugs. They're awkward. They set the house on fire. Micah. They're hyper. They're bad influences. I like the quotations. Bethany. They drink, okay? Is that yours? Okay. I, hey, you never know. You never know. You know what, though? Hey, do you think your parents have good reason not to like those friends? They set your house on fire. They drink. They do drugs. They're awkward. That's a good reason not to like somebody. They steal. I know, that is normal. But you know what? Hey, guys. Your parents have a right to be concerned. Your parents' concern is actually backed up by Scripture. Did you know that? It would seem to me you got some smart parents if they're worried about the people you're hanging out with. Look at what this verse says in Proverbs 13.20. It says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, 
but the companion of fools will suffer harm. See, when your parents say, you know what, I don't like your friends because of this, 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 and this, it's not because they're just looking for a reason not to like somebody. It's because they're worried about the influence that it's going to have on your life. They want you to make wise choices. They want you to make good choices, things that are going to help your future, whether they're your plans or the plans your parents have for you. And when we start hanging around with people who our parents don't really care for because they're making some of those bad decisions, we're no longer doing what it says in Proverbs 13.20. We're not walking with the wise anymore. We're walking with foolish people. And when we walk with foolish people, we start to do foolish things. We start to do stupid things and get ourselves in trouble. And you see, when we're talking about this, when we're saying how Jesus chose the wrong crowd, our parents want us to have the right friends, right? They want you to hang around good people, smart people, people that are going to help you make good decisions. That's nice. But you know what? Even though you do that and you should do that, there's going to be times when those aren't the people you're supposed to be hanging out with. Now, I'm not telling you to go disobey your parents and say, you know what, Pastor Jesse told me I should hang out with the worst people in the world. Well, hey, I will say this. There are times when you should, but that's not where you should spend the majority of your time. You do need to surround yourself with wise people. You do need to surround yourself with godly friends, people who are going to lift you up, who are going to strengthen you in your relationship with God, people that are going to stand behind you when you have to make a hard decision that nobody else necessarily agrees with. Those are the kinds of friends you need to surround yourself with. But you see, we're also called to sometimes step away from those friends or step with those friends into crowds that maybe our parents don't want us to be around. Into crowds that maybe our church people, our church family tell us, I can't believe you're hanging out with them. Do you know what they do on the weekends? Do you know what kind of lifestyle they lead? Why are you hanging out with them? But you see, that's, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. If you look at Jesus' life, more often than not, when you see the people he's hanging out with, he's not hanging out with the people that are okay. He's hanging out with the people that need his help. You see, even Jesus surrounded himself with good friends. He had the 12 disciples. Yes, he taught them. Yes, he took them different places. He showed them miracles. He, got, he, he taught them all this good stuff. But he also relied on those guys. He surrounded himself with good friends that were going to lift him up. But at the same time, if you look at his disciples, they were a mess, weren't they? In fact, one of his disciples was a guy that Jesus knew was going to betray him for silver. You see, Jesus still, even in the good crowd, sometimes chose to hang out with the wrong crowd. And that's what he's calling us to do. And that's what I want to look at tonight, is we're going to look at this passage where it says that Jesus, you look at what he's doing, and it's, he's hanging out with people that, that everybody else would tell him, don't do that. There's no reason for you to be there. Yeah, it could be Tanner. I see you pointing at him. But you know what? Here's what we forget sometimes. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We say we believe that, but many times... We don't live that out. Because when it comes to that whoever part, that whoever believes him, that means we have to be willing to share with whoever. Not just the nice, neat, clean people that we're around most of the time, but the people that we wouldn't normally talk to. The people that we wouldn't want to be seen around. The people that if we talk to them around our friends, our friends would never let us hear the end of it. 
But you see, it says, whoever. And that's who we're called to be around. Anybody and everybody that needs Jesus Christ. Let's look at how Jesus lived this out. Because we can talk about what this means all day long. We can talk about how this might look and what the theory is and the theology. But it doesn't mean a thing until we actually start living it out. And Jesus talked about it a lot, but then he turned around and he lived it. Let's look at how he did that. Starting in John 4, verse 1, Jesus chooses the wrong crowd. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptize more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So just to, get, just to make sure we understand what's going on, Jesus has been preaching, Jesus has been teaching. All of a sudden the Pharisees have learned that more people are being baptized by Jesus and his disciples, even though Jesus didn't actually physically baptize anybody, than John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is not their main concern anymore. Now we've got this guy, Jesus. So Jesus decides to leave, and he starts walking, and it says he's going to Galilee. But in going to Galilee, the quickest route from Judea to Galilee was to go through Samaria. The problem is, Jewish people weren't supposed to go through Samaria. And the reason being is because racially, they hated each other. That is like one of the worst forms of racism you could think of. To give you a little history of this area, back in 2 Kings 17, this is not me just making this up, it's in Scripture, it says, the king of Assyria brought foreign people to settle in Samaria in the year somewhere around 722 B.C. You had Jewish people living in Samaria, you had these foreigners come in, brought in by the king of Assyria. And what happened is these Jewish people that lived there they started intermingling and started marrying some of these foreigners. And in doing so, they started adopting some of their religious practices that were completely different than what they had been taught as Jewish people. To the point that they had their own copy of the Pentateuch. They had their own religious ceremonies. They even rewrote their own Israelite history so that it was different from the rest of the Jewish society to incorporate these outsiders, these foreigners. Now, because they had done that, the people, the Jewish people, the, the pure-blood Jewish people, they hated the Sumerians because they weren't pure Jewish anymore. And the Sumerians hated the Jews because the Jews told them they were wrong for what they were doing. So you've got this clash, this battle to the point that Jewish people would walk miles and miles around this area just so they didn't have to pass through and see a Samaritan. And yet Jesus is walking and Jesus walks right into the middle of it. And he not only walks right into the middle of Samaria, he goes to this town and he sits down at a well. The Jewish people don't do that. You don't walk into that town, number one. You certainly don't stop in that town. But that's exactly what Jesus does. You see, from all outsider view, Jesus is doing everything that society says you don't do. You may have experienced this sometime in your life. Maybe there's somewhere that, maybe in the lunchroom at school, you know there's certain people that you just don't sit with. Nobody sits with them. What would happen if you actually got up and went over and sat down? All your friends would look at you, are you an idiot? You don't sit with them. You don't talk to them. Nobody talks to them and sits with them. 
You see, that's exactly the same kind of thing that Jesus is doing. He's going where everybody's telling him, don't go. And he does this. Note the hour here because this is important. It says it's the sixth hour. You know what that means? What's that? No. It means it's 12 o'clock. It's lunchtime. Pay attention to that because that's going to mean something here in a minute. Let's keep reading the Scripture and see what happens. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You see what Jesus just did there? He not only went where everybody told him not to go, he not only stopped where everybody would tell him not to stop, he just asked this woman for a drink of water. And you know there had to be people around sitting there watching going, did he really just do that? Did he really just talk to her? Are you kidding me? Yeah, we do that. I know I've done that. You watch your friends, you watch them go talk to somebody, be around people, and you're thinking, what are they doing? Don't they know who that person is? Don't they know what that person does? What kind of person they are? But you see, Jesus doesn't care about all that. Jesus just walks right up, sits down, and starts having a conversation with this woman. I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet, <laughs> every one of us in this room could think of one person in our life at some point that we've treated the way society would have told us to treat that woman, or told Jesus to treat that woman. Somebody that we chose not to talk to, somebody that we chose not to interact with, that we chose not to be around, simply because all of our friends said, eh, no, don't do that. You don't want to go there. But you see, Jesus doesn't care about any of that. How many times have we rolled up to a stoplight and stopped and see the guy or the little old lady standing there with a sign that says, hungry, homeless, please help. And we look the other way. Or, or we reach over and lock our door. Mm-hmm. I know it's true because my wife does the same thing, even though they're already locked. You see, our natural reaction is we see somebody and we judge them from what we just saw. And we have no idea who they are. We don't know what their situation is. We don't know how they ended up there. We don't know what their need is. But our automatic reaction is, nah, I'm going to keep my distance. You see, Jesus could have done that. And if Jesus had that mindset and had that attitude, guess what? Every single one of us in this room would be going to hell right now. Because if he looked at us, all he would see is the sin. If he looked at us and had the reaction that we have most of the time, all he would see is just the messed up, just messed up lives that we can have. But you see, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus decided to choose the wrong crowd. And in doing so, he changes lives. When we decide to choose the wrong crowd, guess what? We have the same opportunity to introduce people to Jesus and to change lives. Look at what happens next year. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. The woman said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it, from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. You see, she's not quite getting what's going on here yet. He's talking to her about who he is and what he has to offer her. The love, the unconditional grace, and the mercy that is Jesus Christ. And she's still saying, you know what, what are you talking about water? You, you, can't, you don't have a bucket? You're not greater than Jacob? You can't draw water out of here without a bucket? So she doesn't quite get it. A lot of times when we decide to choose the wrong crowd, when we go to the people that other people wouldn't choose to be around, they're going to wonder why we're there. They're going to wonder, what are we talking about? Why are we acting like we care about them when we've never given them the time of day before? And they're going to be confused. That's okay. That just simply gives us the opportunity to show them that we're not there for anything from them. We're there to give them something. And it may take time. It may take some explanation. Jesus doesn't just walk right up and say, Hey, I'm Jesus. You need a relationship with me. But He does help her understand who He is. And we have that opportunity to help people understand who Jesus Christ is. He goes on. It says, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. You see, Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He goes straight into explaining who He is and why He's there and telling this woman that she is standing in the very presence of God Himself and she still doesn't get it. To her, Jesus is kind of speaking in code. But if we read this, we know exactly what He's talking about. She doesn't quite understand what's going on. So Jesus decides he's going to dig a little deeper. He's going to help her understand why he's really there. Here's what he says in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Let's go back to the time of day for a second here. We said it's noon. It's lunchtime. Society, tradition, even people who live in desert climates now will tell you that you don't go draw water from a well at noon because that is pretty much about the hottest time of the day. It's hot. It's nasty. It's hard work. It's heavy. So the ladies would go early in the morning when it was cool or early in the evening when it was cool. You didn't go during the middle part of the day. So the fact that Jesus is sitting here and Jesus is talking to this woman right here, we already know that there's something going on in this woman's life that she has chosen this time of day to come draw water from this well when everybody else is not there. And then Jesus calls her out on it. He says, go get your husband. Now, there's, there's, it's possible there's a couple reasons for this. Number one, it wasn't, it wasn't proper for a man to talk to a woman if she was married without her husband present. You just didn't do that. I know our society, it's not like that. But that's the way it was in this society. But you see, Jesus is actually digging a little bit deeper here because even though it's not proper, Jesus is setting her up. Jesus is letting her know that He already knows what's going on in her life. 
You see, when we decide to choose the wrong crowd, we've got to have this mindset that Jesus has right here. And the sin that was in this woman's life, it didn't surprise Jesus. He knew it was there before he ever started talking to her. He knew who she was. He knew what she had done. He knew her problems. But it didn't surprise him. And more importantly, it didn't stop him. You see, when, when we think about choosing the wrong crowd and the people that we wouldn't normally hang around with, the ones that drink or do drugs or burn down houses or are just awkward, whatever your reason may be, whatever that reason may be, when we think about those people, sometimes we're like, I, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they acted that way. And we act like we're surprised. We act like we're shocked because somebody who is a sinner, sinned. But we shouldn't. Because it doesn't surprise us. And it shouldn't surprise us. You have a question? Awkwardness is not a sin. It's just awkward. <laughs> That's all I got for you. That's all I got for you. But guys, the sin didn't surprise Jesus. He already knew what was going on. He says, woman, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five of them. That means she's had five affairs already. And the one she's having right now is not her husband. Dang! But guys, despite that, he still talked to her. Despite what everybody else would have told him, the fact that she's there at this time of day already says that society has shunned her. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus decides to talk to her. Jesus decides to help her understand that this sin is something that shouldn't be surprising because we are all sinners. That is why Jesus Christ came. Jesus knew before creation that every single one of us sitting in this room would sin in our lives. He knew it. And He came anyway. And He came so that we could know Him despite that sin. He's not surprised by it, and it doesn't stop him. So my question is, why do we act surprised by it when other people sin? Why do we let their sin stop us from telling them about Jesus Christ? Or even if you don't start there, why do we let their sin stop us from just being friends with them? Just showing that we care about them, from engaging in their lives instead of standing back and saying, nope, I don't want any of that. It didn't stop Jesus. And if we say we follow Jesus and we believe His Word, then it shouldn't stop us. Let's see what happens next in verse 19. The woman said to Him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You see, she tries to change the subject. It's probably a little uncomfortable after that last statement from Jesus. I know your sin. You're sinning now. She probably felt a little awkward. 
But Jesus doesn't let that distraction happen. Jesus keeps her on task. It doesn't stop him from telling her exactly what she needs to hear. And it shouldn't stop us. Because if we really believe that God so loved the world, that whoever believes in him, that means that whoever has to hear about him. That means we have a responsibility to tell whoever we come in contact with. That's what we're called to do. When I talk about choosing the wrong crowd, that means the people that we don't want to be around. The people, the society, and God forbid, the church would tell us to stay away from. You know, we did this past year, we did a series, I don't know if you remember, it's called Get Dirty. You remember that one? I hope. Go back and listen to it. It's on iTunes. But we talked about how Jesus got dirty. He got into people's lives. He got his hands dirty. He rolled up his sleeves and he plunged into the ugliness that is our life. That's what we're called to do. To engage people, to get involved in their lives instead of stepping back and saying, you know what, I don't want anything to do with those sinners. Because if Jesus had done that, Jesus would have looked at this room and said, I can't do anything with those sinners and I'm just going to stay up here where I am. That's not what he did. He came and he talked and he changed lives. In Mark 2, Jesus says this. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 15. And as he reclined at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Again, Jesus is with the people that society tells him, don't hang around. It says in verse 16, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he care about them? Doesn't he know who they are? Doesn't he know what they've done? Why? Verse 17, When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. You see, Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to spend time with the pastors or the deacons or their wives or your Sunday school teachers or anybody else that leads in the church that looks like they have it all together. Yes, he does spend time with them, but they already know him. Jesus came for each one of us, but he's focused on the people who don't know him yet. He's focused on the people who are hurting, the people who need him in their lives. We, if we sit in here and we say we have a relationship with him, we're no better than anybody who doesn't. We're simply a sinner that knows Jesus Christ. We're still a sinner. I don't know about you guys. I accepted Jesus Christ. I asked him to forgive me of my sins when I was 14 years old. I remember it's Valentine's Day, 14 years old, 1990. Do the math, 37, it's okay. Do you know what? I've been a Christian for 23 years. Been in church my entire life. And I still sin every single day. Every single one of us does. Jesus Christ came for every one of us. The only difference is we know Christ and the people out there who are in those lifestyles that we would normally stay away from don't. That's why Jesus came.
so that we could know him, so that they could know him, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So you know what that means for us? I think it's pretty simple. We've got to choose the wrong crowd. At some point, we've got to decide that we're going to spend some time around people that everybody else tells us to stay away from. No matter how much they've had to drink, no matter how many times they've cut their arms, no matter how many people they've slept with, no matter, Jesus calls us to go to those people and to share Christ with those people. That's what he lived out over and over and over again. And that's the opportunity he gives us to share the love of Christ with a world that is hurting and dying and going to hell. And we have the answer right here and right here. So my question for you tonight is, will you choose the wrong crowd? Is there somebody in your school, because that's where you spend most of your time, or maybe if you have a job or you're on a sports team, or you're in the band, or whatever it may be that you do outside. Is there somebody in that group, somebody you can think of, that you know needs Christ? That you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, everybody else would look at you if you got up and you went and talked to them, you would be ridiculed by your friends. Because I can promise you this, when you start to choose the wrong crowd, that's going to happen. People are going to give you a hard time. People are not going to understand. Your parents are not going to understand sometimes. I'll talk to them. Doesn't mean I can change their mind. But that's what Scripture calls us to do. Go to the people that everybody else says, don't waste your time. Are you willing to do that tonight? Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you've got, if you can think right now, picture it in your head. Picture that face. Picture that person. That one individual that you know. You know what they do on the weekends. You know what they do during the week. You know your parents would say, stay away from them. You know somebody in the church might tell you the same thing. Picture them in your head right now. But you know that they need to know who Jesus Christ is. Just picture their face. Here's what I want to ask you to do. The band's going to come up here in just a second. And when they do, I want to ask you, if you are really willing to take the opportunity to share with somebody, if you are really willing to feel a little awkward, to have somebody question what you're doing, but if you are willing to share Jesus Christ with somebody and get involved with a life that the rest of your world would tell you to stay away from, I want to ask you as everybody stands up to come up here to the front to just get on your knees at the front of the stage tonight. And I want to ask you and challenge you to pray for that person and ask God to give you the opportunity to talk to that person. And it doesn't have to be you walk up and say, hey, you know what? You're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ. It can be, hey, how you doing today? Hey, can I help you with your books? Just show them the love of Christ by simple steps. 
If you're willing to do that, if you know somebody like that, I want to challenge you to engage in their life with the love of God. And I want to challenge you to come up here and pray for them as we start to sing. And if you have a prayer request, you can write it on one of those green cards and I'll pray for you as you pray for that friend. God, we love you. God, you sent your son for us. And God, I pray, I pray that you will help us. God, help us to show the love that you showed us. Help us show the grace and the mercy that you showed us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.